Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everybody and welcome into today's episode of the Top Cut Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast. My name is Sonny, and I am here without Caleb. He has some personal stuff that he is attending to. So in the meantime, I have myself and my guest, the RJB Zero. What's up, dude? Yeah, uh, you've done the standard thing that creators across the platform do, which is when they can't get their A-list guests uh, their or their normal co-hosts, they just bring me on and hope that that fills in the gaps, um, which I think is a smart strategy. <laughs> well, it's worked out well for everybody so far, so I figured I'd give it a shot. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've had like minimal interaction before, so I mean, it's something, right? Yeah, we've played junior format together. Exactly. And like, once you've been juniors with somebody before, like, you know, you're friends forever. So exactly. True. So once you go through that harrowing experience, right. Together, right. Once yeah. It's an unbreakable together, bond, especially <laughs> the chaos format. Like once you've lived through. That oh my. Yeah. I mean, you, you're basically just like at the hip forever. Um, I want to take a quick moment, of course, to thank our patrons. So thank you so much to, Austin Johnson, Kane Martin, Master of Isa, Mr. Herbie's, Scuzz Daddy, Witchcrafter Main 2022, AD, Aaron Gardner, Anthony Leela, Damian Zink, Dank Nugs, Dino DNA, Mountain Man, Myth Oceanus, Owen Alvarado, Pig, Jeremy Drysdale, Ray Powell, and Sunny Sweet. Thank you all so much for your continued support of the podcast. And if you are new here, you can find us on Twitter at Top Cut Podcast. You can find a link to our Discord, our Patreon, and everything else related in our link tree down below. We do now have a TCG Player Affiliate link, and you can find that in the description down below. Whew. You see, I get I do so many of these intros that sometimes I just I get all mixed up. I don't even know what I want to do. Um, you would not believe the number of times I have to re-record my average CMO deck profile. <laughs> 
to be fair, there's a lot of unorthodox things in those deck profiles. You're not wrong. Um, and if you're listening on Apple, please, please, please be sure to uh, leave a rating and a review. We do leave our, we do read our new reviews out live on the podcast. So um, <laughs> make sure it's good. And if you're on Spotify, be sure to smash that follow button. It helps us immensely. And for those that want to watch on YouTube, we are hopefully pretty soon going to be caught up with our YouTube uploads. And then from then on, we have decided that it will no longer be an archive. It will now be a regularly updating uh, thing, just like the rest of our stuff. So it'll update at the same time as everything else. That way, it's actually like a useful way to listen to the podcast rather than just, you know, a out an outdated archive. So we have people asking for that. So we're taking the dive into the YouTube. Oh, boy. It's a harrowing experience. Um, Definitely. It's a, it's a big risk. Yeah, it really is. Uh, but, you know, it's one that the people are asking for, so the people are going to get it. So... For those that don't know a little bit about the RJB0, uh, or RJ, as I will call you for the rest of the time, um, RJ is the co-host of CMO's show Sealed Showdown, which uploads every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Central Time. I think I have that right. Yep, or Tuesday if you are a rare patron. That's right. So go uh, subscribe to Simo's Patron too. Do subscribe to all of our patrons. I mean, I, hey, I'm not going to stop you. Um, and also a co-host of Junior Journey with MBT. Now, Junior Journey is a bit different. You upload every other week. Is that correct? That is normally correct. We took a major hiatus for mysterious and probably not legal reasons. Um, during the month of December, but we are back onto our uh, every other week schedule. Listen, we all know what it was. We all know that you took the time to really make sure that you got all your bands correct for the chaos format, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely needed all that time to say we weren't keeping painful choice in the format. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, it, it's not like you did anything crazy like like leaving Chaos Sorcerer at multiples in the format or leaving Return from the Different Dimension at three or leaving Dimension Fusion at three. It's not like you did any, like missed anything like that. So, you know, I mean. Hey, I didn't miss it. That was a fully intentional way of making the format <laughs> unplayable. Uh, I actually, I'm very excited about what happens with this version of the format. The folks in the Discord are already going wild with absurdity and jank i have never seen the likes of before yeah so at the time of this release that episode will have only been live for a day and it was funny because as you mentioned in the episode of junior journey it's the so mbt has a channel called junior journey in his um uh, discord server and if you go into his junior journey discord server you can it was like radio silence for like a week because well there's no new episode there's no new band list and everybody's just playing chaos decks and it's like huh well this is like you know not really what we were not really what we signed up for and that like within 10 minutes of the episode posting i mean that 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 channel is just going ham 
so yeah it was really funny december was a buzz with people coming up with the most broken way to resolve painful choice and by january the first week of january everybody had determined the most broken way to resolve painful choice and so just didn't bother but i think we've gotten more responses on the server in the last like three hours than the server has ever had before for that channel so it's uh it's very exciting. I always love the time right after the new ban list. Yes, and if you are interested in playing Junior Journey format, um, I have actually been playing the format like almost as much as Modern. Uh, so if you are interested in that and you want to play, I have created a Junior Journey channel in our own Discord server, and you can check it out at any time. It's been there for a while. It's just had no activity Excellent. because, well, it's been chaos format. So, you know. It has indeed. So, for those interested, you can find that there. And those two shows are not all you do. You also stream a couple times a week, usually, right? That's true. Uh, yeah. So, the major thing that I do is Time Wizard Primers. Uh, it is a format of, of content in which... I present people with all the information they need to get started with a retro format. Uh, since Konami has announced that they are sanctioning OTS level retro format play, I want to I want to bring out some of the hidden gems of Yu-Gi-Oh's history, some of the formats that are frequently overlooked. And so what I do is I introduce folks to a format, give them the resources they need, and we spend an entire month on stream breaking it. Uh, so I do that on stream. Uh, right now we are working on Abyss Rising format. Uh, which has been an absolute blast. It's a fantastic format. I also do uh, Sealed Showdown practice, so if you want to play with some of the worst decks you've ever put together, uh, that's a great place to do it. Uh, we are currently in the GX era, and anybody who is familiar with that era of PAX knows that absolutely nothing good came out for a good two years during that time. Uh, yeah, and much. then, Yeah, and then I play junior format, and that's that's most of what I do. Yeah, if anybody here is a patron and they listen to our uh, set breakdowns, we're currently in the GX format, and uh, they suck. It's a dismal time in Yu-Gi-Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, like, so basically all the, like, even, like, the competitive decks and the constructed decks of that time are just, uh, how do I say this? Uh, they're just goat decks with different cards. Yeah, they're just like goat goat decks with like uh, Groucho Marx glasses on, uh, or maybe they like changed their tie. Yeah, you don't get like a like a real constructed GX deck that's like actually its own thing until like Perfect Circle, and then Teledad, and not even Teledad, just like Dad Return, and that's like not even gx format that's like dad comes out in the last set of gx so really i mean you're basically yep. it's basically not even gx so yeah gx sucked yeah so the most interesting thing was pot of avarice for sure yeah one of the one of my most controversial takes ever uh and and this is one i've discussed with folks a lot um speaking as a competitive player Archetypes were the best thing to ever happen to Yu-Gi-Oh. 
it's something that a lot of people complain about because we get this kind of attitude in modern Yu-Gi-Oh that, you know, archetypes make decks cookie cutter. That you play, you know, the same 30 cards and then uh, an assortment of your personal flavor of hand traps and, and staples and things like that. And that's been a complaint that's existed probably since about 2011. Uh, but people don't really realize that before 2010, everybody played the same 20 cards in their deck, no matter what deck they were playing. You know, a Dark World deck was like, you know, it was, it was, it was goat control plus like two copies of gold and like a silver, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and so uh, archetypes really did a, a lot to like silo the power within a format into um into particular strategies that necessarily have synergy with e with each other uh and therefore you actually get some deck building variety in Yu-Gi-Oh whereas we probably would just be playing something that looks like dragon ruler good stuff for the rest of time if Yu-Gi-Oh were not were not archetype uh, archetypically based so and I think GX is really the uh, the uh, the poster child for this problem. That just everybody was playing the exact same two decks for the good better part of like two years. Yeah, it's it's not anything really interesting. I don't know. As far as like a, co a competitive standpoint, I think GX is like my least favorite era. I mean, I think it is just, fair. Yeah, I think I think if you go back and look at it, it's just like uh, if you look at the DM era, at least you get sure there's like there's jank and BS, but at least once you get to like the goat era, you know, you have goat format. It's like the, the bright point of the entire DM era. Well, I say that the first like two sets of GX were in goat format, but yeah, but, yeah. I will say, I, I yeah, and competitive GX has really, uh, has really benefited a lot from hindsight. If you look at like the Reaper format community, there is a lot of innovation there. Like there have been, um, a top deck that like never saw the light of day before like this last six months is wind beat down. There's a wind beat down deck that uses like slate warrior and Sylphid, I want to say. Uh, and it's a really, really cool deck that nobody would have thought of back in actual 2005 because, you know, nobody actually came up with original ideas during that time. And just because people are really invested in these formats and saying like, yo, there are all of these cool things that exist in these formats. There was a, there was a, uh, a level up dragons deck that topped one of the recent uh, Reaper format events. And so there are, the GX, I think, is one of those things where, like, I think the problem with GX wasn't that there was cool stuff potentially in the wings for competitive. I think the problem was that people, there was not a lot of coverage to go around and there was not a lot of access to cards and there wasn't a lot of access to labbing. Uh, and so people didn't really get much chance to think critically or outside the box when it came to the game. Uh, and so just the safe move was to invest in the cards you knew were going to be successful and things like, you know, Breaker the Magical Warrior, Spirit Reaper, Cyber Dragons, things like that. 
uh, and then and then work with what what you've got. Um, and now that we have this incredible series of communities of people who dedicate a lot of time and um, and energy and have full access to the game and to each other to practice and and lab things, that we're getting to see a lot of really cool things. I know that if you are interested in some of the GX era stuff, if you go to Joe Giorlando's channel. YGO history and uh, <clears throat> check out that interview earlier that we did a few weeks ago if you haven't already uh, if you go to Joe Giorlando's channel he has some really cool uh, deck profiles from like that 2006 return chaos return format um, and it's it's a lot of historic deck profiles but it's interesting to see like if you go back and look at those deck profiles versus the stuff that's topping like currently when people play those formats it's very different very different yeah so but that is something else that you do right you said you do a lot of time wizard and junior journey is that the bulk of your twitch streams or do you do other stuff too that is the bulk of my twitch streams uh my last twitch stream i did i i decided that I was going to break into the meta. I did an entire Sword Soul 10-Yi combo. I I did one. I made it through a whole turn. I put up three negates. Uh, maybe it was... I, I, I put up a number of negates. Uh, and I, I only had to restart the combo like once in order to make sure that it wasn't, you know, an absolute... <laughs> misplay so so i i, I do the meta the medics and not uh, really i do mostly do retro format things because i have not yet had the time to break back into uh advanced competitive play like i used to do um but i am always i am always a proponent of of advanced format and uh meta play and competitive play uh, because that's what that's what really made made the game special for me when i was at the peak of my play right so let's talk about your time playing the game let's let's back it up a little bit and i <laughs> want to ask you where you kind of got your start in the game and where your love of the game came from if you will yeah uh that's a little bit of a weird question to answer because i've come in and out of the game quite a few times and yeah. it's not necessarily for lack of love of the game or anything it's just like other life things um so where i got started in Yu-Gi-Oh really depends on uh what at what point you think i was like really into the game so uh my very first introduction to the game was actually back in 2003 um and my was it actually 2002 only had legend of blue eyes right it was like Le 2002 legend of blue eyes and then at like the very end of 2002 was the yugi and kaiba starter decks is no, that correct so, uh lob was march 1st structure decks were the end of Mar starter decks were the end of march metal raiders was june and Matt spell ruler magic ruler at the time was october i think we actually okay. had like three sets and tournament packs that released at that time okay yeah so um i what i remember is that i was in third grade uh and my friend tom and i used to do make-believe games on the playground every once in a while uh and there was this thing that we called 
uh, we called it the armor game. It was this, uh, there was, there was a lot to it and, uh, I probably couldn't get to the half of what our, you know, childhood wonder could come up with at the time. And he said that one day, one time he was like, okay, the reward for our quest this time, uh, is, uh, this powerful dragon. He pulls out a copy of Kimori Dragon. A card I'm fairly certain it's fairly sure uh 90% of your audience has forgotten ever existed. Uh it is a vanilla 1400 attack point I think dragon monster. He handed it to me and I thought yep, purple guy, uh weird kind of worm shaped tail, uh triangular head. Yes it was. Um and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I thought it was sick. Uh, and I grew up in this, like, tiny town and uh, out in the middle of nowhere uh, in kind of south-central Washington. And uh, so I didn't have a huge amount of access to the game. But I, like, I immediately got into it. I was like, what is this? Where does this come from? And so my friend Tom and I, I got into it as much as you can when the nearest Walmart is, like, a half an hour drive away. Dude. I trust um, me. I understand. I <laughs> I grew up somewhere where the nearest Walmart, the nearest stoplight was half an hour away. I get it. Yep. <laughs> I definitely feel you there. Uh, yeah. And so uh, we would buy every volume of the manga at the book fairs at our school. Uh, I nearly mailed out an envelope full of like $30 and $1 bills to get my subscription to Beckett Yu-Gi-Oh! Collector before my mom caught me trying to sneak out the front door and wrote a check for it instead. Uh, And so I was like glued to the pages of Beckett Yu-Gi-Oh! Collector for that time. Did you, did you watch Uh, it? I did. Yeah. So, um, in in my hometown in Washington, the anime aired at two times. One I definitely couldn't get away with because my parents didn't want me watching it, uh, which was like at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And the other, and this was my secret to success, was on Tuesday mornings, it aired at 4 a.m. <laughs> and so if I was very quiet sneaking into the living room, I could watch it on like the lowest, uh, the lowest volume level possible. Uh, and I could get away with it. I remember very specifically watching the episode where uh, where Yugi beats Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon by infecting it with Mammoth Graveyard. Oh my gosh, uh, where they're standing on top of the Pegasus Where castle. they're standing up on the t- the castle, yep, and, and Kaiba, oh like, pulls the cheapest move to, to win the game. Yeah, yeah he, threatens, uh, he I, threatens to do unspeakable things to himself. Yes, he does. Uh, I So I very vividly remember being under a blanket in my living room and it being pitch black outside. Uh, and because it was in the winter and, and, and watching that. Uh, and my grandma, I remember my grandma provided me my first critical mass of cards, which was a Kaiba starter deck. Uh, as, you know, as all the OGs started with. Uh, I remember finding my first booster pack and being like in awe that this was a thing that you could get at a 7-Eleven. Uh, I pulled <laughs> Sangha of the Thunder out of my first booster pack ever. I thought I was the coolest thing ever. Uh, but my friend Tom, who had introduced me to the game, had had rich parents. And so he immediately <laughs> slapped me with his OCG copy of Dragon Master Knight. <laughs> uh, I was, yeah. <laughs> Tom is the anyway, so that was... Heart. 
Oh no, he was great. I mean, he uh, he played as fairly as nine-year-old children ever do, uh, and it was a great time. We spent a lot of time with it. We uh, we had fun watching the anime together because when I stayed the night at his house, I could get away with watching it. Um, and so, yeah, you would just sneak away whenever we were at Walmart or Freddy's to to grab packs from the electronics section because that's where they had them. Uh, and that was Yu-Gi-Oh! for me for the first few years. Uh, and um, part of what really excites me about getting into things specifically like Reaper format is there are all these cards that I that I always looked at in Beckett Yu-Gi-Oh! Collector as a kid and all these yeah. decks that they used to talk about that I, you know... I saw as these like incredible rare treasures uh, and now I have access to them and it's, it's really cool for me. Uh, and then I quit um, for reasons I don't actually particularly remember until a couple of friends and I in high school, I want to say junior year while I was in a play uh, made a comment that like kind of as an offhand joke that we had a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh cards sitting around at our houses and because for any of you who are ever in theater, you, you'll you know exactly what I'm talking about. There were hours where there was nothing to do, where we had to be present, but there was nothing to do. And so we put together these absolute jank tier decks, uh, as you do. Uh, and we played it kind of as a joke yeah. until I... Yeah, until I went and got my my rear end absolutely handed to me at a tournament at an anime convention. Um, and it was, you know, it was true love from there. Uh, my very first deck that I played with any kind of competitiveness was a Cyber Dragon FTK deck. Or OTK deck using, like, uh, Overload Fusion and Power Bond and things like that. Uh, which I got to like second place at another anime convention tournament. You know, the height of competitive play right there. Uh, and then it was X-Sabers. X-Sabers was my first real deck. Um, and that's when I started Yugi tubing. You can actually see in my earliest videos uh, that like my parents had like, an, I was literally living in my parents' basement, you know, because I was like 15 years old. Right. Uh, yeah, and I got into playing competitively and Yugi tubing because I just kept encountering new people. I happened to go to a locals with a bunch of people who had like randomly won like SJCs and things like that. And so they fostered a really cool competitive environment. We'd stay up all night at the local 24-hour subway. Um and yeah, I that's really how I how I got into the game. Um and I've been off and on since then, largely because I've had, you know, I have a lot of other things going on in my life, and I have, I have some kind of parallel ambitions that have come in and out. But there's always been somebody, uh, in this case, it, most recently Alex Simo, uh, who managed to talk me get into getting back into the game, uh, and I'm glad I did most recently. Yeah, I think my story uh, echoes yours quite a bit. Um... I know we haven't really talked about this before. Yeah, I I grew up, uh, well, I was, like, born and raised in a very major city. I was born and raised in New Orleans. And Oh, nice. Yeah, well, I, I like, played and grew up with the game uh, until this, like, giant, massive natural disaster hit, and I kind of lost everything. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2005, rough year. So we moved up to the northern part of the state. And we lived in um, basically uh, a tree 
and because we were surrounded by trees because that's all there was was you know trees so <laughs> yeah, yeah i know how that is yeah oh it, it was culture shock all right going from my dad going hunting like twice a year driving like two hours to go find a place to hunt to being like oh look there's a deer in the backyard it's a very big difference um yeah so we you know going from there to there what's funny was for me uh at the you know uh after a couple of years of like bouncing around here and there i settled at a school and uh i joined of course the band and of course in the band i meet caleb and we ended up like hitting it off over Yu-Gi-Oh, and i was in late middle school he was in early high school and we've been friends ever since and whether we were playing the game or not you know uh we played up until right before duelist alliance format and we got out until we got back into the game and about eight months later started the podcast so uh, nice yeah it's kind of funny how uh it's you know stories echo each other sometimes definitely uh you and i had kind of the reverse i went from a small town to a big city and you went from a big city to a small town and managed yeah. to end up in a you know i still drive an uh, hour weekly for locals wow dedication yeah and you gotta remember like people are like ah oh, well you know it's like and i'm sure you can echo you can you know relate to this uh people are like ah you know it's so far for locals and cards sure but you know you just go online and play online nope nope not at that, that was yep i uh, yeah playing online i uh, was hoodwinking my family into letting me browse on oh man i'm trying to think of what some of the sites were back in the day that you got cards off of a lot of them don't exist i uh, like Pojo used to have used to have like a hot premier place to get your Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Mm -hmm. uh, Toy Wiz, Toy Wiz was the big thing for a while. You got your cards yeah. off of Toy Wiz. I remember. Uh, I don't remember, but I've I've heard many stories about like the competitive scene being on Duelist grounds, and I was like, "Yep, Oof. that was before my time." Yeah, and it was funny. Was uh, I don't know if this was around the same time that you were like trying to get into competitive but i was like trying to get into competitive and they were like and it's like right around the time dueling network came out yeah you remember that oh uh, yep i definitely remember that so here's the here's the real question okay you say you lived in a small town uh-huh you have high speed internet where you could actually play dueling network Oh, no. By the time Dueling Network existed, I was no longer in a small town. Uh, I think my actually my first dual simulator was the um, Kaiba Corp. Oh. The Kaiba Corp dual The one where you had to literally, you basically like had to code your commands into it to make it work. Uh, wow. I, I remember specifically there was this user, uh, Atomic Slap, if you're out there was like the biggest troll of the server it was you know always in in all caps all their dual lobbies had the, the word slap in them <laughs> uh, i just 
I remember that one very vividly. I was very grateful to have Dueling Network come out. Well, yeah, so you're a couple of years older than me, I think. So when Dueling Network came out, I was still like in early high school. So I was still living with my parents and there was no high speed internet at the time. And buddy, I got so many game losses from internet not not working. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, the struggle. Yeah. So around what time did you find yourself getting out of the game and now back into it through being coerced? Yeah, I uh, I blame Alex Simo for both of them. Uh so the very first time besides, you know, 2006 when I when I moved and I started middle school and things like that, uh once I was actually really into the game. Uh the first time that I kind of quit was in 2015 when I started attending college. Um I it was not uh, so, 2015, I say when I started attending college because I went to community college for my first two years. Okay, uh, so, 2015 was probably, you know, was like officially my junior year, although nobody in my major graduated in four years. So, I went off to college. Um, I went off to university uh, in 2015. And A... One of the glories of college is you just discover a huge number of things you want to do with your life. Yep. That, like, as soon as you get there, you're just like, um, so for me, I started doing, I started doing, uh, dance. Uh, I was very into that. I, I had already started doing journalism things, uh, and getting into politics and economics as a subject. Uh, and so I, I really went hard on that. Uh, I started working out for the first time in my life. Um, and it just kind of fell by the wayside. I had all these exciting things. I had all these friends uh, that I was hanging out with. And I didn't know anybody in Bellingham where I was going to college uh, who played Yu-Gi-Oh! It took me a very long time to even find a locals up there. Um, and so I just kind of, uh, people will remember from that time, I just kind of disappeared. Uh, I didn't, I didn't tell people that I was busy. I just kept like meaning to make a video and then I just never did. Uh, so it was just like one of those things. Life just happens. Uh, and I was very excited and I'm glad that I had that time period, um, where I wasn't glued to the internet, where I was, uh, out and about. And before that, you know, I, it wasn't that I was like on the internet constantly. I had a lot of opportunities to be in person and play Yu-Gi-Oh! That's one of the wonderful things about this as a game, as opposed to net, like a video game is like you you necessarily are in a space with other people where you're socializing. Um, but I digress. Anyway, um, so I was really excited. I'm glad that I had that time. Um, and I had been in 2014, I had been a mermaid player. I was very, I was very into water as a deck. Um, it was just a blast. One of the, if, you know, if you ever want to try a deck in a retro format, that's going to make you better at the game. Mermail will always be the one to work with. Um, and it was really what made me want to continue playing competitively. And Alex Simo kept poking me whenever something new came out. He was like, you know, they brought dragoons back to two. I was like, haha, that's funny, Simo. <laughs> and then Neptibus the Atlantean Prince was announced. Uh, 
And for all this time, us Mermail players had been making do with Gen X Undyne as our starter. Uh, we had to run Gen X, we had to run this awful vanilla that you would draw like 25% of your games and immediately lose the game. Uh, and we'd been saying like, man, if we could get like Gen X Undyne, but if it just like gains a hundred attack, we'll be happy. So we don't have to run Gen X controller. And then they announce uh, Neptibus and they're like, oh, this card does literally everything the deck could possibly want. Uh, it is everything you ask for and more. And I was like, okay, I got to try this. Um, so in late 2016, um, and for those of you familiar with my stuff, yes, this was ABC format when this uh, when I got back into the game. Uh, I decided to go to a regional for the first time in a long time. Uh, and I, I got my invite. I did better than I'd ever done at a competitive event. And I was like, ah, yeah, this is it. And uh, I brought my, my Mermail deck, uh, which was a blast. I, I have a couple of funny memories about that deck, but um, it was just a really great time. And I was like, ah, yes, I remember why I played competitively. Uh, just that that rush of being like really on top of your game at seeing something you've practiced a million times come together. Just it was it was an absolute blast. And Alex said, yo, I'm going to be in Seattle for YCS Seattle. Um, do you want to go to YCS together? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, and we went to YCS Seattle together. It was the, some of my best memories of my entire life was uh, hanging out with Alex at YCS Seattle and uh, playing that event. Um, fun fact, he got a feature match with Billy Brake that event. Uh, it was one of the first times Konami ever featured a creator instead of a, like, uh, a famous player in a feature match. Uh, it was very exciting for us. Anyway, uh, so I played that. I was like, oh yeah, I'm back into competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! And then senior year <laughs> took over. Uh, and graduation took over. And I moved. Um, and I got into a lot of other things. I started doing, um, I started doing climate activism. Became a huge part of my life. And once again, Yu-Gi-Oh! just kind of faded off to the sidelines. Uh... And I, of course, thought about it every once in a while. Every year, I buy a set of decks from, like, one of my old retro formats. So I have uh, both versions of the Dragon Ruler format in paper. Uh, I put together Abyss Rising was one of the first formats I put together. So it was always kind of in the back of my mind. Uh, and there was always this voice in the back of my mind. And that voice was Alex Simo on Facebook messaging me every two months being like, Yo, you're going to get back into the game? Uh, hey, this mermail deck topped. <laughs> he was always, he was like, he knew when to bring in the mermails. Uh, and eventually he was like, you know what? I just want to do something together. I want to collaborate together. Uh, we talked about doing sealed things together. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I want to, I want to play Yu-Gi-Oh! and Yu-Gi-Tube again and doing a sealed event, which is something I'd never done before. I'd never done sealed play before. Uh, just sounded like so much fun. And uh, it was it was at a time in 2020 where um, the city I live in now I don't know a lot of people uh, and it's been hard to break into social circles for obvious reasons uh, in the last two years and I was just really excited I I remember loving the community online 
uh, and specifically with creators. I think creators, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh creators have just like a special level of community um, that I really appreciate. Uh, and I'm so glad that I got back into it. And that brings us here today. And that's my life story. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I think we all have stories like that, though. I mean, it's, it's always a friend that brings us back into the game, right? Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit about your uh, journey through content creation, if you will. Um I know you said back in the day you did a little bit of Yuki tubing. You kind of dabbled here and there. Um, but I, the thing that I want to talk about is really Junior Journey. So was this yeah. your concoction? Yeah. Uh, I was... Um, I was just kind of at the in, in the in the throes of of uh, working with sealed showdown and looking at like dm era Yu-Gi-Oh, and i was working on this thing that's actually um that is an upcoming project for me that i call the millennium dual kit which is this project i decided to put together because i was inspired by seeing reaper format come into popularity um where the millennium dual kit is this thing that i want to put together that's like all of early Yu-Gi-Oh in a box. Something where a person can play uh, all sorts of formats from like playground Yu-Gi-Oh to competitive GOAT format and Reaper format and have all of these things together such that like two people who want to play Yu-Gi-Oh can have the full experience. Uh, and I want to make it like the best, most like uh most fun not just like cards but also like art and callbacks to like 2003 to through 2005 Yu-Gi-Oh. um and i'd been coming up with all these aesthetic ideas so i'm like getting all these cards together i'm putting together a game guide all the like early 2000s pokemon game guides uh with like lore and art and things like that so i've been planning this out and i see this channel called chaos magician who commented on uh simo's videos a couple of times uh who talked did a really like in-depth series about early 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 Yu-Gi-Oh, uh which is really cool for a number of reasons um my favorite thing about chaos magician as a as a historical Yu-Gi-Oh channel is they have like some of the products from back then some of the ocg products i remember this there was this one that was like really endearing to me there was this early like duelist kingdom uh dual kit type of thing that came with like star chips and like really really early like pre-ocg like actual game Yu-Gi-Oh cards uh, and the cards were like worn down like you could tell that there was somebody who really loved this thing and played with it as a kid they had a life point counter that had like notes from their actual duels with friends it was like the coolest thing in the world uh, and as they were talking about this thing they talked about early versions of Yu-Gi-Oh which uh, early Yu-Gi-Oh was like really early Yu-Gi-Oh true earlier Yu-Gi-Oh like in 1999 uh was just like the absolute wild west konami came out with a new set of and it wasn't always just konami it was like all these different game production companies were coming out with their own rules for Yu-Gi-Oh. uh every time there was a new video game the game worked entirely differently uh and i saw they talked about um 
the official card game rules and the junior rules. Um, and I thought they were the funniest thing ever because they, they were like a skeleton of Yu-Gi-Oh! as it existed now. Uh, and folks who are familiar with Junior Journey will know a lot of these rules. You could like... Uh, some of the early versions you had to like set spell cards for a turn before you could activate them. Uh, you... You know... Uh, you, of course, didn't have... You didn't have tribute summons. You just normal summoned your Dark Magician uh, with no monsters on the board attacked for game. Uh, and like... And I thought this was the funniest thing. So I, I tweeted about it. Um, I it was just like, can you imagine if Konami tried to make the game of Yu-Gi-Oh continue as it was, if they hadn't like seen the writing on the wall for their game uh, and made this big decision to make this change to, to for its longevity? Like, could Yu-Gi-Oh have been a playable card game? Uh, and a couple of my Twitter followers, namely uh, Sophie, apparently, who is a is a mainstay in the junior format community, was like, yo, this would actually be hilarious. And we were speculating on like something that happened really recently, like normal summon debuck as a thing you could do, like uh, as like the tier zero strategy, like blue eyes, white dragon actually being the most powerful monster in the game. Uh, and I was like, okay, this is the most hilarious thing ever. And what I need is to inflict it on other human beings. Uh, like I want to play this, but I want other people to have to go through playing this format. And it was right about this time, uh, when people were starting to realize that I existed, um, I, of course, had my diehards from back in, like, 2014. But most of the community, you know, the community has grown so much since I used to play. So for, to a lot of people, I was just this absolute no-name. Uh, and uh, MBT on stream was like, as, like, a throwaway comment, was like, yeah, he seems he seems pretty chill. Uh, I'd definitely do a collab with him. <laughs> and so I was like, yo, MBT, you said you want to do a collab. I have a really terrible idea for a collab. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the rest was history. Uh, a, a really fun fact, actually. So the um, the premise of Junior Journey is that uh, climate change destroyed the world because people were too focused on reading in excessively complex Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Specifically uh, to actually, Yeah, specifically Nirvana High Paladin. Uh, to actually pay attention and make the changes that need to be made to stop the apocalypse. He did not tell me about this uh, this premise before <laughs> we filmed the first episode. Uh, so he's making all these references to the premise of the of the series, and I'm like going along with it. I'm like this. I have no idea. This guy's going crazy with me right now, but like I'm having a good time, and it's, it was really funny. I watched it. I was like, okay, that's actually sick. Like that was way better than anything I could think of. So that premise was all his idea. Um, as you can tell from the fact that I have no idea what's going on in the first episode. <laughs> That's really funny because you, you say you had a background in working in climate change and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You probably came up with all the intro to the uh, junior journey. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I had no idea it was coming. <laughs> That's actually uh, even funnier. Yeah, it was a blast. Uh, I'm very glad that Hardleg agreed to be one of our first guests. I was like, he's also somebody who'd be really into this. I was like, if MBT thinks this is the worst idea ever and refuses to do it, I'm sure Hardleg would try it out. 
so I think I think his presence in a format that was very conducive to just his entire existence uh, <laughs> was probably very helpful in getting the series up off the ground. Is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to in this series? Any particular formats, time frames, things like that? You know, every time I think I'm looking forward to something, I actually have no idea what's going on. Uh, <laughs> it turns out, like, we could not have predicted that Pac-Man would take over the world in 2003. Uh, that, like, Guardian Sphinx would be the terror of the format. Uh, so that was that was really cool. Uh, I'm really interested to see how this affects GX because there were a lot of cards with very powerful effects at high level in GX that were never played because they were, you know, gated behind, you know, eight, seven to eight stars. There are like monsters that negate spell cards. There are, you know, there's Ancient Gear Golem, which is immune to Sakuretsu armor and has got three grand, three grand. Um, so I'm really excited to see gx from the perspective of the junior rules uh especially i uh, so that's something i'm really looking forward to i think the upcoming the 2004 format that folks are i'm sure i uh, already like leagues ahead of us as we speak like as of like over the course of us fil or recording this podcast i'm sure they have developed and destroyed like five different meta games um, so I'm really excited to see what they come up with and what we come up with for that. Um, so yeah, I, so I, to answer your question, it's hard to say what I'm looking forward to the most because I'm just like absolutely blown away every time we think we figured it out. Yeah, it's really funny. Since we started this podcast, there's been roughly, eh, I don't know, 50 plus messages sent in the junior format channel. Yep. They're going ham. So, um, I think that some of the cool innovations that come with uh, the... Mm, how do I say? the Some of the cool innovations that come with these alternative formats are really interesting. Uh, is this something that you could ever see being played in paper? Like, if people decide, like, oh, junior format, like, 2008, it's just like a great retro format to play actually do you think that people would like ever pick it up in paper and actually build it see that um it's funny the premise of this series was supposed to be like displaying how absolutely garbage these rules were they're like it's really a good thing that konami like figured it out and and decided to go for it just because these rules are just not at all the game is not balanced around these uh, these rules but it's actually turned out to be really fun um and i think one of my favorite things about it is it's a way to play constructed with a full card pool with the actual like full rules of of the Yu-Gi-Oh trading card game in a simplified way uh and konami's been coming out with a lot of cool ways of simplifying Yu-Gi-Oh, things like speed duels and dual links uh, rush duels, things like that, that that limit the card pool, that make the rules simpler, things like that. Um, and Junior, I think, fits really well into that, that it is a very simplified version of the game, but not simplified in a way that takes away the creativity and fun of it. And you've got the full card pool to work with. Uh, and so you can really innovate and play around with it. So I can see potentially certain formats being really popular for folks who want to have a casual game 
and make constructed things but not have to worry you know not have to worry about working their brains too hard you know if you're if you know it's been a long day and you just want to unwind and you don't want to you know play sword soul combos all night that it's something that you can that you can get into and and have pretty low barriers to entry so we'll see it really depends on if mpt and i manage to uh manage to actually ever balance the game um but it's definitely something that i encourage people to try for themselves to start their own junior journeys uh and try playing playing god with the ability to create your own ban lists and things like that um because it's a really fun way to interact with the game casually uh and potentially even probably a pretty good way for new players to get into it i agree although it is notable that you know you can still do a full sword soul combo and only activate like one spell that's a good point that's that's fair uh yeah junior junior format 2021 probably probably won't look terribly different <laughs> for 2022 yeah. I, w- I was thinking about that and i was like man junior format 2020 is literally just gonna be tri brigade combos <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, that's the thing. Konami at some point figured out balancing Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, and when they did that, they realized that making high-level monsters didn't properly balance them. It just made them unplayable unless right. there was a low-level thing that tutored, tutored it out. And so they started balancing the game around that. So I think the most impactful part of the junior rules is going to turn out to be the one spell and one trap per turn one. Uh, which I think is going to, like, Spellbooks is going to be an absolutely unplayable deck under those circumstances. Uh, And so we'll see see what that rule does, um, because Konami didn't successfully balance around just one one spell and one trap per turn. But yeah, you're right that there there are certain formats where that's probably not going to make a huge difference. You know, uh, Rejuve Rulers... You know, you'd activate Super Rejuvenation and maybe, like, a 7-star sword during your turn. But other than that, you could already basically normal summon level 7 monster. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be really interesting to see the turns that the format takes when you get into, like, the Synchro and Xyz eras. Because once you get into those other extra deck mechanics it really changes the dynamic of a lot of it because there's so much power accessible from the extra deck. I'm really excited to see where the format kind of, um, see how long it stays diverged. Cause like when you really think about it, it's like two parallel lines, except one of them is not quite parallel. It's just like slightly tilted. I feel like eventually the two lines are going to intersect somewhere. Right. Yeah, uh, and I'm excited to find out where the point is at which we are basically playing, you know, the Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I've really taken a shining to the format, though. I've, I've really, really come to like it a lot, uh, mainly because um, water is a playable, constructed deck. Like, like Levia, Dragon, Catalyst, yeah. water is a playable deck. That's all I'm saying. It's still good. Everybody check it, it out. It is. Because I think without chaos, without chaos taking over the format, it's probably even better because, you know, the things that made that deck good were obviously Sinister Serpent. Painful Choice into Triple Sinister Serpent was obviously a very good combo. Um, but what made the deck really good was actually like 
Daedalus tribe-infecting virus and abyss soldier, which you still have full access to and are all searchable by Witch of the Black Forest, which, for those of you who don't aren't familiar with the format, there are some ridiculous cards that we have not hit on the Forbidden and Limited list yeah, yet. Yeah, Pot of Greed is at three. Uh, Pot of Greed is at three. Delinquent Duo is at three, and nobody plays it. Uh, it was a big tech moment when I brought in the Forceful Sentry. Like, that was a big deal that I played the Forceful Sentry. <laughs> yeah, because you you run into a situation where, like, sure, those cards are, like, incredibly powerful and stuff. But, like, honestly, when you can only activate one spell trap for turn, like, which would you rather do? Activate Pot of Greed or activate Painful Choice? Yeah, or, like... Yeah, activate Pot of Greed and get, you know, some monsters that you might be able to summon or a spell that you can't activate that turn. Or you could Monster Reborn your Dark Magician of Chaos back. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was funny to see the decks literally just not even playing Pot of Greed. Like, it's at three, we're not playing it. It's yeah, I played it at one, which was based, which was kind of copium yeah, it was, <laughs> during it was the 2004 10. episode. Yeah. It was literally just there to get me to painful choice fast. Yeah. So, <laughs> really interesting. So, I want to talk a little bit also about um, some of the retro formats that you showcase on your uh, on your Twitch stream. Uh, I know that you're a big fan of the Abyss Rising format. Are there any other ones that kind of speak to you? Yeah. Uh, I would say that the the three formats that stand out the most to me. Um, and this is kind of a thing that I do is I find I find things that are a little bit of hidden gems, things people either don't remember or are kind of muddled in with formats that people really didn't like. Uh, and my three favorites are actually some of the ones that are, exemplify that the most. So Abyss Rising, phenomenal format, absolutely incredible. And oftentimes people forget about it because 2012 sucked for Yu-Gi-Oh! A lot of the time. Um, but like... Early fall 2012 was a fantastic time. Extremely diverse. So many cool different decks. Um, so that's one of them. Uh, 2016, October of 2016, right after uh, Structure Deck Seto Kaiba came out. There was a really cool, the first version of ABC format before like Totally Awesome was released and uh, stuff like that. Phenomenal format. Things like uh, Mermail was obviously competitive. That's what I played at the time. But there are a million really cool versions of ABC as a deck. Uh, Blue Eyes was still competitive. Uh, there was a Shadow train deck. Metal Foes had just started to, to come into play. Uh, I'm just looking over my shoulder at all of the paper decks that I have from that format to see if I forgot anything. Your, your stream on the Abyss Rising format is what inspired me to go out and buy an entire Max Rarity Geargia deck. Nice. Yeah, Geargia was a great one. Uh, that was a that was a great deck. So, yeah, Abyss Rising uh, ABC format in 2016. And the one that I get uh, in the most arguments with people about was the 2013 Ravine Ruler format. Uh, I think that was one of the best times for competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! ever. Uh, for a number of reasons. Um, there were, it, uh, of course, as every format does, it had its flaws, and those flaws were namely returned from the different dimension in the sixth sense, which Konami in their infinite wisdom released during the Dragon Ruler format. Uh, but other than that, you had a million different versions of the Dragon Ruler deck. Like, there... There was no consensus about the best way to run Dragon Rulers, and people came up with the wildest stuff. It was like absolute cloud cuckoo land 
Paper Dragon rulers. You had Dragoonity rulers. You had Tidal Mermail. You had like plant rulers uh, made famous by our uh, good friend Nim Nim. Uh, you had all these weird teched out versions, but dragon rulers had some very, very specific weaknesses at the time um, that if, that people started to figure out. And so people came up with some of the coolest rogue and anti-meta decks. Uh, there was a uh, Thunder Family deck that, that topped an ARG circuit series that was really cool. There was a Fire Fist deck where you would go uh, Coach Soldier Wolfbark into, I want to say... Um, Fire Fist Caribou, which was a tuner, which could make Crimson Blader. Uh, so it was like a searchable combo that made Crimson Blader off of one card. That was super cool. There was an event where like uh, Evil Swarms got second place and Constellar got first place. There was so much cool stuff during this format. Um, Karakuri won an event too. I think everything was at one at that time, right? So the Dragon Rulers, the big Dragon Rulers were at three still. Um, the format that limited the dragon, the big dragon rulers, was um, was March of 2014, which was also a phenomenal format because that was when like uh, Bujins were kind of the black stain on the format. But you also had like this was just pre hat, so you had like Sylvans were really powerful. Uh, Fire Fist had uh, two really cool different versions of it. There were again a bunch of different versions of Mermails. Um, yeah. Girgia, um, Gear Karakuri, Girgia, and Pure Karakuri were both really powerful during that time. Because Girgia um, Gear is a heck of a card. Girgia Gear really and truly is a heck of a card. Um, it did not get enough chance to shine under full Dragon Rulers because it was released in the same set as all the Dragon Rulers. Yep. It, yeah. That, that set really did take a lot of things out. They, they got resurrected later. Um, the world prophecy was a really cool deck that existed and Zectors made kind of a comeback during that time uh so that's a really cool format i haven't gotten to explore it yet it's one of the ones that i want to do on stream sometime in the near future but that was a really good one too so what are you um i forgot what i was gonna say i forgot my next question oh no I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just all the way forgot my <laughs> next question. Wow. Happens to me all the time. Frequently mid-sentence. Yeah. Folks, this is why you don't record late the night before the episode is supposed to premiere. That's why you don't do it. Um, what I do want to do right before there. I forget, though, is I want to take a quick moment yeah. to thank our sponsor, ETB Games. ETB is our local in Alexandria, Louisiana, and if you are interested in anything Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, Digimon the Card Game, uh, DBZ Super, whatever, Car 5 Vanguard, whatever card game you're interested in, they have the uh, things to support that. They have all your accessories, they have binders, sleeves, everything, deck boxes, everything that you need to play the card games that you love, as well as uh, the D&D guidebooks, the figurines, the, the table mats. They have all of your tabletop accessories and needs, and if you are interested, you can check them out at the link in the description below. Sorry, I forgot to do that earlier, and I'm kind of paid to do that, so I need to do that. Ah, glad you did it. Yep. Good to support local uh, local game shops. Of course. Um, so, is there any particular um, is there any particular deck that kind of speaks to you now in the current advanced format that you're kind of looking forward to playing a little bit? 
Um, that's a great question. I every once in a while I see something I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's right up my alley. Uh, the problem is the decks that I like to play when I was playing competitively were very, very difficult decks. Like I loved the Dragon Ruler Mirror Match. I loved Mermails, all these things that require like massive lines of thinking, uh, which I am not capable of doing in the slightest with current advanced format Yu-Gi-Oh! because I've been out of the game for so long. So I want to say things, you know, I, I want to say like Virtual World looked like it was really cool um wow, like a format ago <laughs> what's that you do pick the big brain decks yeah like uh there's so so i'm a little bit of a i'm a little bit of a simp for synchron decks and so the stardust synchron deck that mbt showed off on 10 minute testing looks like a blast but is far too big brain uh, so that's very exciting. This is why I started playing Sword Souls, because it's a synchro deck, but it's got like one combo uh, it does every turn. And so I'm like, I can do that. I can I can play a Sword Soul combo and not have to remember all these different lines. But ultimately, the ones that I'm drawn to are those ones that have uh, that have all those diverging uh, decision points, um, which is really a self-destructive tendency that I have. <laughs> I mean... There's nothing wrong with liking the big brain decks. I just personally can't play them. <laughs> I probably can't. You're either. playing Tri Brigade. I, I don't do big brain. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it took me half an hour to do a single Sword Soul uh, ten U line. So I'm gonna get there. I do. I do want to get to that point where I understand the TCG well enough to play some of those decks maybe get to pick up that synchron deck i was spending a little too much money earlier on an old uh foiled out max rarity junk doppel deck it's probably not max rarity and i was thinking you know i could just like you know pick up some stardust synchrons while i'm here and you know mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so we'll see that might be in my future it's certainly not a tier one deck right now but uh it's i'm i am looking forward to what comes out so as a returning player to the game, what are some of the resources that you have found yourself using to catch up on some of the different things in the game? Because I, I know that, like, I, speak, I can just speak from personal experience on this. When you come back into the game, especially when, a, like, a comp, I mean, when I came back into the game, it was Adam Emancipator and Eldritch Synchro, and I was just Oof. lost. So when yeah. coming back into the game, what resources have you found yourself trying to kind of take advantage of to help get back up to speed? Um, that's a great question. I'm full of them. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, honest to goodness, the progression series has helped a lot. Uh, and I say that because the the nat natural way that the f that the format works is they introduce new cards a bit at a time and they only play a few of them at a time and there are these ones that are like you know going to be fairly common threads throughout it um so once they got into the link era it was really helpful for me to see them play these cards one at a time and so i'd be able to like i'd be like okay i understand i understand the nightmare monsters now and i understand right, these things right. so that was great um honestly community memes 
has also been very helpful because, you know, at, there comes a point at which a card gets memed enough that you just understand what it does. Like, I don't think I have ever looked up Mystic Mine. And yet I know the effect of Mystic Mine because people make so many memes about it. And so just like seeing there are there are common discussion threads throughout the community and kind of keeping my ear to that. Uh, as far as actual resources, um, I do the way that I always learn things competitively and the way that I'm kind of getting back into things now is I would like I would look at a pretty basic deck list one that seems kind of representative of what people tend to be playing and I read the cards and then I watch deck profiles to listen to people explaining why they play different like different versions of the deck or different ratios or things like that and I think that really solidifies for me what these cards do listening to people explain how they interact with each other and how different ratios interact with each other uh, so that's what I'm currently doing with sword soul um and so it's really helpful for me to first get familiar with the like real basics of the deck, the nitty gritty, uh, and then hear really good players talk about the deck and why they make decisions and why they think people are like, you know, total noobs because they make different decisions. Like obviously that kind of like language isn't isn't great, but you know when they when they talk about things that they think are like bad ideas and stuff like that, you could be like, okay, like I understand your reasoning, and that gets you like thinking from the different angles of the deck. And so that's something that I do a lot. So I, lo I, I love watching deck profiles. Um, combo videos I don't find particularly helpful um, because they're really one of those things that's like in one ear, out the other. And so I'd rather, I'd rather hear people explain cards to me and then have me figure out combos, at least initially, while I'm messing with the deck on, on, um, on Dueling Book. So... That's that's how I do that. And eventually, you know, maybe combo videos once I feel really familiar with it. But if I were to suggest to people how how they can get back into the game, um, watching people play, choosing a deck that sounds like it's fun uh, or that even like I I advocate for sometimes like choosing the deck that's that's meta that like has the art that you like the most. that You want to spend a lot of time looking at because if you don't know what anything about the current game, you're not going to know what deck suits your style. But if you choose one that you just kind of like and enjoy, you're going to have fun learning about it. And like, it's, it's just a thing to get yourself started and break out of the mental block of getting back into the game. Um, which is part of how I started with sword soul alongside everybody complaining about how boring sword soul is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I, Personally, I looked for the Xyz deck in the format because I remembered Xyz and I knew how they actually worked, you know? So just like having yeah. a deck that centralized a mechanic that I understood just worked really well for me. Yeah, so, definitely. But at the All same right. time, I quickly transitioned into a link heavy deck because it was a mechanic that I didn't understand and that I wanted to be able to understand in depth. So uh, I guess there's two sides to that coin. Yeah, definitely. I also advocate for like once you've once you've got a deck you're you're pretty comfortable with and like once you're getting into the game, go after those scary decks. Like they're always going and this is how I got into Mermails originally was like people there are decks that people are going to be talking about being like really hard, requiring a lot of thinking. And like once you actually you're like up to speed on the the current we'll say philosophy of the game because the philosophy of the game changes every few years so when i was playing it was 
it was a matter of like tempo was a really big deal um, and being able to have counters and outs for boss monsters and things like that. But now it's like about managing your once per turns. You know, what resources have you used this turn that are exhausted for the turn? And like thinking, watching your opponent because hand traps are such a big deal. What is your opponent using a hand trap for? What are they like not using it for? So like, what does that tell you about the, your hand? That kind of thing. So like, once you learn that kind of philosophy about the game with a deck, going after those decks that are like, okay, that seems cool, but it's probably a little too hard for me. I fully advocate for it because we have like, you know, we have these incredibly to uh, incredible tools available to us. We have these oftentimes actually fairly welcoming communities who are interested in learning about the game, who are like really invested in these decks. We have all these tools available to us uh, to learn things that are really hard and then just practicing it uh, and wrapping your brain around it. You don't have to win all of your locals with it right away. You can you can mess with it while you have your competitive deck that, you know, gets you by that's about the speed you're at now. Uh, but trying for those scary things is a lot of how you find yourself, like, building confidence in the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, are there particular channels or communities or anything that you would, like, harken back to when you're looking for specific advice, specific, uh, I mean, anything, you know what I mean? Uh, rulings, whatever. Um, every deck is going to have its, like, particular proponent and person who knows it the best. Um, but I think in general, uh, I have, I have stayed subscribed to Slim Yu-Gi-Oh! for the last, like, seven years of the game. Uh, and I think that the deck profiles that they have over there are frequently, uh, a good, like, amount of explanation to them. Uh... So when it just comes to looking at what people are playing, what the deck profiles are, uh, they're great folks. Um, I think uh, that's that's the one that comes off uh, to the top of my brain. Um, there are going to be Discord servers for pretty much everything. I don't have any in particular. Uh, one person I do want to shout out because... Um, I, I'm sure there's somebody who doesn't think of themselves as being a... Uh, as being like a competitive resource but somebody who's great to watch their stream especially if you're just getting back into the game is uh shiggy's crystal abundance um because uh her streams when she she tries out new decks uh and then and talks talks themselves through them uh, learns about them, how they work on stream. It's a very good environment for if you're just getting back into Yu-Gi-Oh! And it's, it's like, scary to have somebody, like, taking it taking it at an exploratory speed and learning about things and, and messing with the deck. Uh, I absolutely am a huge advocate for um, for Shigisa's stream for that. Um, uh, also, and that's just a matter of, like, promotional guest of the podcast, and you can find her episode below. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's how I knew you were legit. I, you know, uh, if 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 she wants to talk to somebody, then I'm I'm happy to talk to them. So yeah, uh, definitely a proponent of her stream. Uh, MBT's videos. He does his whole thing is explaining decks and how they work, and frequently they involve uh, talking about cards that have been in the game for forever. See, you know, his current uh, uh, invoked. 10 minute testing. Uh, so I really appreciate how much he 
he does with just exploring exploring different decks. And of course, he he does a lot of like uh, jank alchemy, as I like to call it, on in his content. Um, but I think he does a really great job of explaining his things. And so, as a person who hasn't really broken deeply into the content creator world uh, when it comes to competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! currently. Those are the those are the folks that I spend the most of my time with. Yeah, I understand that. Um, MBT is, I mean, when I found his 10-minute testings, that's how I got into and found his entire community. So I definitely understand yeah. that. Um, I think that will pretty much wrap us up for today, though. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts, plugs, anything like that? No, I think I, I think I've talked enough. <laughs> no, um, oh, I really do encourage folks. We're allowed to talk. Oh yeah, I'm glad. Uh, then then you invited the right person on. I really <laughs> do encourage folks to check out Junior Journey if you have not already. It's a blast. It's one of the most ridiculous shows on YukiTube. It uh, it's great. I it's it's a lot of fun. Try out Junior format. Um, and yeah, I I would say one of the things my my final closing statement is that you don't have to go hard 100% of the time. Yu-Gi-Oh! is about having a good time and oftentimes going to the people who you enjoy for content uh, and who you have a fun time with and the same thing goes for like playing the decks that you enjoy and have a good time with are going to make you better because you're, you know, having a good time, paying attention. Uh, and so you don't always have to be doing the, doing, you don't have to be on the grind with everything you do. That is absolutely correct. Um... Yeah, I. There's a lot of truth in that. Um, it's okay to like learn the deck for a few days, then take a break for a few days, then come back a week later, and just like learn it at your own pace and do things at your own pace. You know, don't don't try to yeah. jump head first back into the game and like quickly create a podcast. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> no experience being spoken from there. I'm sure. Yeah. No. I mean, you, you know, listen. You know, it's. I'm just saying. Sometimes, if 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 you go down that path and you jump quickly back into the game and then make your own podcast, you're gonna spend your first like 20 episodes saying things that are just factually incorrect. So be careful. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I've been doing that on screen for the last 15 years. So you're doing all right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. Again, everybody, if you want to find RJ, if you want to, you know, keep an eye on his uh, journey as a YugiTuber and content creator throughout all of the Yu-Gi-Oh! spectrum, you can find him, of course, on Simo's channel every Wednesday or Tuesday. If you're a rare level patron, you can get that a day early. And that is the Sealed Showdown series where they open a new set or product every week and build decks just from that one set or product. Or you can find every other week on the Junior Journey Challenge on MBT's channel. Or if you want just RJ, you can find him on his Twitch channel. It's definitely every Saturday morning and then the I think the weekday streams kind of vary sometimes, right? Uh, so I am now regularly uh, streaming Tuesday evenings at 5 p.m. PST. Tuesday evenings? Tuesday evenings, yep. Okay, cool. 
So after you get done listening to our episode on Tuesday, just go click one over into his stream. <laughs> Definitely. Exactly. And the most reliable place to find me, of course, is on Twitter. Yes, absolutely. What is your Twitter handle? It is at R Jameson Berman. Okay. And um, if you go to our Twitter, t- uh, the morning of the airing of this podcast, uh, I'm going to tag RJ in the tweet with this episode. So you should be able to easily find him on Twitter. So, uh, and I will admit it is a pretty funny Twitter account. I'm not even going to lie to you. I enjoy it. So I'll take it. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I will take what praise I can get for it. Uh, I'm glad you enjoy my nonsense and I hope other folks do too. Yep, definitely. I mean, hey, Twitter's where I found you first. So, um, so thank you everybody for listening to today's episode of the Top Cut Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast. Um, the last quick thing before we get out of here is we want to do the podcast question of the day. So the previous question of the day was what is your favorite summoning mechanic? Uh, we have a lot of great answers. I'm a bit biased towards fusion summoning, even though it's a bit much in terms of effort. Uh, synchro, synchro, particularly 5D's bias. That's Sophie, actually, uh, RJ. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, it's got to be it, my synchro My synchro team coming through for me here. That's it. Um, I like all of them except Link and Pendulums. Hey, you must have got out at the same time I did. Uh, Xyz... <laughs> Um, my favorite summoning mechanic is the hardest working plant in the industry. The boy himself, world carrot weight champion, not a mechanic, but that's fine. Banishing mist <laughs> from the graveyard, also not a mechanic, but that's fine. Uh, fusion all day, normal summons. I think Gemini is sick. They just need to make it good. Listen, all I'm saying is make Alistair a Gemini. That's all I'm saying. It fixes a lot of things. Uh, Triff summoning or pendulum for those that don't know Triff. Uh, Link or Xyz. I agree. I like both of those. Normal Summon Alistair. For the for the millionth time, Normal Summon Alistair is not a mechanic. There's so <laughs> many Normal Summon Alistair comments. No. We'll find stop. a new joke someday, I'm sure. No, stop. <laughs> Get some help. Oh, pendulums, fusions, uh, banishing monsters from the graveyard to summon a dude. Boy, you should check out Junior Journey 2004 Chaos Format. There's um, a lot of banishing monsters from the graveyard to summon a dude. There is. <laughs> Calling a judge. Well, Trell, that is. Uh, that a is great, summoning a judge. That is summoning right there. Fusions, synchros, synchros and fusions, Xyz, pendulum, synchro, ritual, Xyz, free denglong. No. Have you read the Sword Soul cards? Uh, fusions, flip summon with sub terror, not a mechanic. <laughs> pendulum. <laughs> Dimension summoning, a totally balanced mechanic that lets you pen summon without any pendulums. That sounds terrifying. Pendulum Master Rule 3 also sounds terrifying. Uh, synchros, Xyz, Xyz, Fusion, Synchros, Normal Summon, Alistair, still not a mechanic, even if it is your username. Synchros and Xyz. <laughs> Reasoning summoning. I can get behind that. Reasoning is fine. Not a mechanic, though. Fusion summoning. Do special summons count? Sort of, but not all of them. Uh, pen summonings. Okay. Wow. Lots and lots of answers. Uh, funny that, like, almost nobody said links. Although I know that, like, a lot of people enjoy and regularly perform the summoning of link monsters. So, you know. Uh, we got one tribute summon from the Discord server. 
So found the monarch player. Found the monarch player. Um, that's it for the podcast question of the day. The new podcast question of the day is courtesy of RJ. He came up with this. What is the funniest Yu-Gi-Oh thing that has happened to you? So go ahead. Be sure to go into our Discord server and answer that tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning, whatever day you listen to this. Or you can answer it on Twitter at Top Cut Podcast. There will be a tweet going out at the usual time with the question. So, RJ, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast, especially at the with no notice at the last moment. Uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you for having me. You know, if uh, as Winston Churchill said, it, it, you know, if you want me to speak for uh, a minute, you'll have to give me a week to prepare. If you want me to speak for uh, 15 minutes, you'll have to give me three days but if you want me to speak for three hours i'm ready to go right now and that's how i feel uh so i appreciate your having me on today of course it is always wonderful to have funny and interesting guests on the podcast and you qualify so appreciate it even if i do quote winston churchill that's fine it's that's fine because churchill was a person so (laughs) <laughs> you that you are not wrong about that fact that's right that, that's the key to never being wrong you just make very generalized statements so, thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of the top cut Yu-Gi-Oh podcast again you can find all of our links down below if the link you're looking for is not there try the link tree it's probably in the link tree there we have like an amazon wish list we have our patron we have our uh, discord or twitter etc all that if you want to find rj's twitch stream and twitter those will be down in the description below you can check out team dark arm dealings they are our sister channel on youtube from our locals uh that is in the description below and of course etv games thank you for the sponsorship their link is in the description below and the last one is our tcg player affiliate link which is down there as well so thank you all so much for tuning in and have a great week 